Hey now, welcome to Random Movie Club. I'm your host, Rob Logan. In each episode, I sit down with a co-host to discuss any movie of their choosing. The only qualification is that the movie is available to watch at home on DVD, Blu-ray, or digital. Before you listen to this show, I highly recommend that you watch the movie we're going to talk about, because we're going to spoil everything. Also, at the end of the episode, I'll tell you which movie we're going to discuss next, so you have enough time to watch it. If you enjoy Random Movie Club, you can help keep it going by supporting us on Patreon. Supporters get special benefits like bonus episodes, patron-only events, giveaways, and more. Show your support for Random Movie Club and The Geek Generation by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com support. On this episode, I'll be discussing Jurassic Park with Chris Bryant. Let's roll the film. Jurassic Park was released in 1993 from director Steven Spielberg. Based on a book by Michael Crichton, with a screenplay written by Crichton and David Kep. the film stars Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldblum. So, Chris. Yes, sir. Jurassic Park. Why did yeah. you choose this movie? Oh, man, dude. This, this is the movie that got me into... My current career choice, which is a filmmaker and video producer, um, it just it, it was a catalyst for everything that that's yeah. happening in my life currently. I mean, it's not really an understatement. Um, saw it opening night in '93, and yeah, from there, it just I'm like, I I I want to be doing that. I want to be directing. I want to be telling stories through the moving image. And of course, it had to be Jurassic Park. <laughs> Anybody who knows me knows <laughs> it's going to be Jurassic Park. Was there any interest in dinosaurs prior to the movie? Like any nine-year-old kid, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, that, that movie just supercharged it, of course. Sure, sure. I mean, back then it was like uh, outer space, Australia for some reason, and dinosaurs. And then <laughs> I saw this movie and, you know, dinosaurs just kind of took over. And, and, of course, then movie making. Yeah. But, yeah, I, on summer break, I'd go to the library, I'd beg my grandmother to drive me there and take out every book on dinosaurs. And this movie is partly to blame. Nice. Well, as I always do, I go to IMDb and look for all the trivia this movie has an astronomical amount of trivia, so I don't have everything, but I cut <laughs> down to the stuff I thought was kind of the most interesting. Yeah. First bit, Universal Pictures paid Michael Crichton $2 million for the rights to his novel before it was even published. Crichton wrote the novel because of his concern for the exploration of biogenetics for the sake of profit. Yeah, and actually, I can expand on that piece of trivia. Sure. I probably I could probably add things to the IMDb trivia page. That's why um, you're here. <laughs> <laughs> so Spielberg was talking to Michael Crichton, and, and he said to Michael Crichton, he said, you know, what are you working on next? And he gave kind of a really high-level overview. I mean, he wasn't even finished writing the book. And Spielberg said, I got to do it. I got to have that how much, basically, yeah. like on the spot. So, yeah. The Tyrannosaurus's roars were a combination of dog, penguin, Tiger, alligator, and elephant sounds. During the scenes with the T-Rex, Steven Spielberg would roar like one through the megaphone. The cast cracked up whenever he did that. He also did the um, the Velociraptor sounds when they were, you know, they, when he lowered the cow into the pen. And some of those like really high-pitched noises, I will not attempt them. Um, but, but he was there with like some kind of a megaphone trying to do that and to help further get the actors' reactions. Sure, sure. The T-Rex occasionally malfunctioned due to the rain. Producer Kathleen Kennedy recalls that, quote, the T-Rex went into the heebie-jeebies sometimes, scared the crap out of us. We'd be, like, eating lunch, and all of a sudden, a T-Rex would come alive. At first, we didn't know it was happening, and then we realized it was the rain. You'd hear people start screaming. 
which is an awesome, awesome piece of trivia <laughs> when the T-Rex not only scared the audience, but the filmmakers themselves. And mm-hmm. it was like, it was legit dangerous. I mean, it's this multi-ton robot that yeah. would every once in a while swing. If it swings in the wrong direction, I mean, you can get really, really hurt. And that's something that'd be lost now because that would be completely CGI. Yeah. And yet, and I know one of us will bring this up eventually. One of the reasons this movie stands the test of time is the mix of practical and CGI. Yeah. When I was doing my homework on this, which is, it was the best homework ever, you know, having to watch the movie for this, <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, I mean, there are some that I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. For the most part, considering this is produced in 92, released in 93, the graphics really hold up because yeah. it is a very, very smart mix. For the long shot, the T-Rex is running or the Gallimimus is running, it was computer generation. And for anything close up, it was practical effects. It was, uh, you know, people in, in costumes. It was, you know, prosthetics and things like that. And it mm-hmm. really, really holds up. Jeff Goldblum says the line must go faster while being chased by a dinosaur. In Independence Day, director Roland Emmerich liked it so much, he had Goldblum say it when he and Will Smith were escaping the mothership. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it was during an ADR session when they were doing that, and they had to, you know, think of other things to say during that. And yeah, he he threw that out there, saying, "Hey, hey, Jeff, why don't you say this line?" And he almost felt like he was cheating on Jurassic Park a little bit. But <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of tie-ins with stuff in other movies, specifically with Goldblum. Yeah, it seems like they have him reprise things from Jurassic Park all the time, and little tie-ins and throwbacks. I might be mistaken. I'm thinking there's something in Thor Ragnarok that there was some kind of a nod to it, too. I believe there is. I'll remember later. (laughs) (laughs) Once we're done, you'll remember, because that's how podcasts work. Of course. (laughs) The Mr. DNA cartoon was Steven Spielberg's way of condensing much of the novel's exposition into a few minutes and very wisely done. Yeah, that was a very smart way to do it. It even held this nine-year-old's attention. I was sitting there and watching it and understanding it i mean yeah they said it in uh, you know ways that a nine-year-old would understand you know sure. high level thankfully he didn't continue it did say uh, oh this score is only temporary and he goes on and on but uh you know moving on with the tour because i think yeah. at that point too audience you know kind of glazing over too with uh let's get to the dinosaurs yeah it's a nice presentation though i like the whole and the setup with the little interactive bit at the beginning where he's like oh i have lines too and you see it kind of rolling a little bit without him Yep. Although that would not be sustainable once a park opens. He has to be there for every single. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it was cool. (laughs) Several of the storm scenes in the movie were actual footage of Hurricane Aniki, which struck production on September 11th, 1992, during location shoots in Kauai. Spielberg and Dean Cundy shot footage of the storm before the cast and crew were ordered to take refuge in a hotel ballroom. That goes back to CG versus practical effects. Mm-hmm. It's like, boy, that storm cer- certainly uh, seemed convincing. And <laughs> it's because it was a nice hurricane. Yeah. And during that hurricane, um, you know, they were like on the first floor of the hotel. And it was like a very serious thing. They, you know, they had to like huddle up and they were standing away from the windows and everything. And Richard Attenborough, who plays John Hammond, actually was asleep in his hotel room and slept through the whole thing. Right. Um, and somebody asked him about that. And he said, you know, I, I survived the Blitz. So this wasn't really that big of a deal. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's that's a heavy sleeper for sure. Yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, the Triceratops dung didn't smell at all. It was made of clay, mud, and straw. It was drizzled in honey and papayas, so flies would swarm near it. Although I don't, I didn't notice any flies on screen. I have the high def version. I did not notice flies either. And you know what? I'm a little disappointed in myself. I did not know that piece of trivia. Oh, whoa! Oh man. <laughs> 
Uh, while subtle, Nedry's hillside spill during the Dilophosaurus sequence is accompanied by a cartoonish slide whistle sound. I did notice that for years. I'm like, was that on purpose or did he scream when he went down or was that like <laughs> like whistling or? Yeah, it's there. It's not super audible, but it is there. The sounds the velociraptors make when communicating is the same sound tortoises make when having sex. <laughs> I learned something new again. You'll never watch it the same. <laughs> I will not. Ian's distracting of the dinosaur with a flare was included at Jeff Goldblum's suggestion, as he felt a heroic action was better than going by the scripted action of Malcolm getting scared and running away. I love it. I wonder if... Uh... Oh, and I guess if he ran away, the T-Rex would chase him anyway. Mm. I was about to say, I wonder how much that decision of his cost ILM to have the T-Rex chase him. But I guess whether he had a flare or not, I think it worked out really, really well. Yeah. And it made, I think it actually made a little more sense too, because it was looking at the motion of the flare that Grant threw. So only another flare would kind of get his attention. like Yeah. Yeah. Grant fashioning a functioning seatbelt with only two latches and no latch plate foreshadows a later scene where it's discovered that the dinosaurs are suddenly able to breed despite them all originally being female. Ah, two female ends of the seatbelt. Gotcha. That's brilliant. I love that. And I never picked up on that one. I never did either until I read this. And I, I, I love that kind of stuff, that subtle, those subtle little things that you wouldn't even think about. And it feels like it's a toss away moment in the movie. Like, why are they wasting time with this? It actually meant something. My only thought on that was it shows he's resourceful mm-hmm. in situations where he's got to think fast on his feet. That, too. that yep. was the only reason I thought that was included. I didn't think about the Same. the two female ends unless that part was somebody overanalyzing that scene. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> there are only 15 minutes of dinosaur footage in this movie. Nine minutes are Stan Winston's animatronics and six minutes of it is industrial light and magic CGI. Wow, it seems like a lot longer, doesn't it? It seems a lot longer. Well, uh, okay, here's some trivia. I don't know, I, I haven't seen this on the IMDb page, but there was an animator at ILM, Steve Williams, mm-hmm. and they were originally going to be making the dinosaurs stop motion, and they were going to use a computer to blur certain parts of it, like as they're running to kind of make it right. more believable. Well, he said, Steve Williams said, you know, we could do the entire dinosaur CG. And they're like, no, 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 it's not. Just stick to the script. We're going to, you know, keep, we're going to do what we're planning on doing. And he said, okay, sure. He worked nine to five, ILM, doing his normal thing, whatever he had to do. And then after hours, he would start working on an animation on his own. And it took him, you know, a couple weeks to do this. And it was a, a skeleton of a T-Rex because it was just him. He couldn't, you know, do like skin and shadow and everything else. Sure. But it was just a skeleton of a T-Rex walking, but like a full T-Rex against like a, you know, a, a infinite black background. Okay. And he had it, he was working hard on it to have it ready for when some of the producers walk through. It doesn't, I don't know which directors or, or which producers I'm picturing in my head, like Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall. And they're walking through ILM to see what the guys have been working on. And Stephen wasn't supposed to be working on this. But he had it kind of playing almost like a screensaver on full screen on his monitor. Mm. And he just had it playing on a loop while he was working on something else. And they walked through and they said, whoa, whoa, what is that? And he goes, oh, it's just something I've been working on. They go, we got to do the full dinosaur CG. And that's how that happened. Wow. If he didn't kind of go rogue and work on that on his, his off time and then have that playing when they walked in, it'd be really nice stop motion. Yeah. It wouldn't be computer animated like that. I actually read something to that. Uh, the stop motion artist that had been working on things for a long, long time before they went to CGI 
had created all these motions and taken all these pictures and then they decided to use the CGI, but they ended up borrowing a lot of the actual stop motion actions and just kind of transposing those onto the motion of the CGI dinosaurs. Yeah, and actually uh, they stole a line from one of those animators when they saw the CG. Uh, he said, it looks like we're out of a job. The other guy said, don't you mean extinct? And yeah. they put that in the movie. Goldblum throwing that yep. in too, yeah. Uh, lastly in the trivia here, the most difficult effect to pull off was the vibrating rings of water. Steven Spielberg wanted the T-Rex to announce its presence somehow before the audience saw it and got the idea from watching the mirror in his car vibrate because of the sound effects. When Michael Lantieri tried to replicate that with water, it was harder than any of the dinosaur effects. Nobody knew how to do it, but told Spielberg they could. The night before the shoot, Lantieri put a glass of water on a guitar, and when he plucked the strings, that did it. So for the scene, they fed guitar strings under the dashboard to get that effect. Yep, and somebody laid on the ground under the car and plucked the strings. Yep. That's so cool. <laughs> it's it's great. Like we would so easily do that with a computer now, but the fact that they went through that much trouble to make that happen the way they wanted it to, I respect the hell out of that. Yeah, I mean, there are some movies even today, and this is I know we're focusing on Jurassic Park, but like movies like you know the Bourne series and James Bond and Mission Impossible because they do so much of it for real. Mm -hmm. It just, I mean, computer effects are amazing, but there, there's just something about it that's off just a little bit, and your brain tells you it's not really real. Yep. So yeah, yeah, it makes a difference. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's talk about the movie itself. Uh, we get into the opening sequence and we see the raptor cage thing. So we get like this installation of fear right from the beginning as we watch one of those workers get just ravaged. Yeah, it's so brilliant. I mean, of course, Spielberg learned this to not jump the shark from Jaws. Mm -hmm. And he shows just a little bit, but not enough, but just enough to scare the hell out of you. <laughs> yeah. Especially again, as a nine-year-old watching this thing, I actually watched this. This is, you know, when before movie pirating became a thing. So mm -hmm. like the, diff the time between a theatrical release and when it came out on VHS back then was a long time yeah so and theatrical runs tended to be longer they shortened over time because people would leak it online so they want to hurry up and capitalize on dvd sales sure things like that but it had a very long theatrical run every time i was at a friend's house or hanging i was always saying can we go see jurassic park dude i saw it 17 times in the theaters 17 wow which is how i know when uh during that opening scene when muldoon is saying shoot her in the theatrical version, he said it three times. In oh. the version at, on home, it's only twice. And I remember watching it for the first time on my VHS tape at home. Of course, I ran and got that right away and I watched it. Yeah. I'm like, wait, he only says it twice. And I'm like nine years old. How, how did I pick up on that? Right. But, but there you go. <laughs> well, you, you memorize the things when you're a kid so easily, especially in the, the repeat viewings and everything. Yeah, I basically wore my tape out. Yeah. The VHS is <laughs> shot now. Due to the death of one of the workers, the owner of the island is seeking top experts in the field to endorse the park before they open. Then we jump to an excavation in Montana where we meet Dr. Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler, who are uncovering the fossilized remains of a velociraptor. And that child that he scares the heck out of with a velociraptor claw mm -hmm. did not grow up to be Chris's character. That no. was debunked. That was trivia. That was uh, they said that that was not him. <laughs> yeah, it's it's I I like the little fan connection stuff like that. It's great, but yeah, I wouldn't even see the visual combination of the two either. So yeah, it wouldn't make sense. Uh, Doctor Grant tells that skeptical child about how the Velociraptors attack, which also serves to educate the audience for later in the movie. So they're setting us up for that later, and they also set up Grant's distaste for technology and for children in this part. 
the beginning of his character arc. The dig is interrupted by a landing helicopter, and the two meet their benefactor, the eccentric John Hammond, who wants to hire them both to check out the park and endorse it, promising to fund their digs for the next three years in exchange. And this is where he drops for the first time, as he does many, many times over the film, the line, we spared no expense. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. And I try to work that into average day uh, speech. Yeah. That scene in the trailer... Spielberg is a big fan of putting fog into scenes, mm -hmm. and I think he put maybe a little bit too much in there because for the longest time, I thought Grant and Sattler were superimposed okay. onto the scene later. Maybe when you watch it, like it, it looks like Hammond and the trailer's a little bit foggy, and I guess because mm. they're close to the camera, they're a little bit less, and it almost looks like they're superimposed. But Interesting. I mean, I got it on Blu-ray, so now I can, I, I can really see the nuances, and I can tell that they weren't, but sure. that was random and boring, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> At a tropical restaurant, Nedry meets Dodson, who is hiring him to steal dinosaur embryos from the park and sneak them out. Uh, I liked the bit where he actually, and I love Nedry's reactions to everything. He's freaking great. Who, and uh, uh, another thing I'd read was that he got hired for this based on his part in Basic Instinct. Spielberg saw him in that and cast him for this. But he takes the shaving cream and he wipes it on top of the pie, which for a photographer, I know that when you do food photography, you use shaving cream instead of whipped cream because <laughs> it doesn't melt. So I love, I don't know if that was the reason they did that, but I love that he did that. I just feel bad for whoever ate that pie. <laughs> yeah, that's got to go to somebody else later, right? <laughs> on a helicopter heading toward the island, Hammond, Grant, and Sattler are joined by Ian Malcolm, a chaos theorist, and Donald Gennaro, a lawyer that represents Hammond's investors. That scene with John Hammond's score, as they approach and you see the island for the first time, it's like... John uh, Williams' score? John Williams. What did I say? <laughs> John Hammond. You're so into the movie, man. <laughs> I'm too into the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, that, it just it added that sense of wonder with his score and, you know, seeing the island and it just... It's an iconic score. And even nowadays, hearing it, you still get goosebumps. Yeah. That, that's got to be like top three John Williams' <laughs> score uh, of, of of his career i mean personally yeah, yeah that's uh on the island they set their eyes for the first time on many live dinosaurs a towering brachiosaurus is the first one when hammond tells grant that they also have a live t-rex the news brings him to his knees he's just like so struck by it and that felt so super real sam neill crushed that part awesome he, he did a great great job on that actually another thing that uh, was cut from the theatrical release is did you notice how in that scene, Ellie Sattler had a leaf and she goes, this shouldn't exist yes. here. Yep. Well, in the theatrical version, she reached out and she grabbed it as they drove past it. Mm, okay. So they actually cut out a continuity thing. Like they they created a continuity error in the home release. I don't know why they did it, but. Right. Yeah. And I remember when Grant sat down, he was looking across the field and he saw those other dinosaurs in the water and stuff. I mean, like. Like, yeah <laughs> your head exploded oh my god look at all the dinosaurs i love the part where grant reaches down and turns ellie's head and you just watch her complete reaction transformation as she rises up and takes off her glasses and everything it's like that's how we all felt at that moment yeah uh, i mean i almost wish i could forget my memory of the movie so i go watch it again for the first time <laughs> <laughs> just to have that experience i mean although it's jaded now because there's all the other movies and sure. know, technology and filmmaking but just that that sense of like just yeah th their faces nailed it 
In the Central Resort building, they learn about how the dinosaurs were created. InGen has succeeded in cloning dinosaurs from strands of DNA salvaged from mosquitoes that fed on dinosaur blood and were preserved over time in fossilized amber. Any holes in their DNA were fixed by adding frog DNA. That is accurate. Not a whole lot to add to that. That's right. (laughs) In the incubation chamber, they witness the birth of a baby velociraptor and also learn that all the dinosaurs in the park are female to prevent uncontrolled breeding. And this is where we get one of the classic lines in all of cinema, really. Life finds a way. Yeah. You almost felt like it was... Like, when you watch it for the first time, it just it felt like a historic cinematic moment. It's just the way he delivered it. I mean, it's only the way Jeff Goldblum could possibly deliver that. Apparently, B.D. Wong thought his role was going to be a lot more prominent, too, because in the novel it is. And then he ended up having such small amount of screen time. Yep. Yeah, he was a cool character in the book. I I read that a, a year or two later. Again, as like a 10 or 11 year old, that's it's kind of a big book for a, a kid. But yeah, I was surprised at the differences between the novel and the and the film. The group witnesses a raptor being fed in its pen while also meeting Muldoon, the park warden, who tells them just how smart the raptors actually are. That was such a cool scene. I always fantasize what the the first floor of that looked like it was like a viewing area with like, you know, six foot thick plexiglass. So you can mm. like look into the enclosure. How did that work? Or was it just a holding pen? It was just to, to hold on to them. Right. I wasn't sure. Because they, they can look at them from above. But I imagine looking at them from the ground level would be absolutely terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you go to a zoo and you see like the, you know, the lions or whatever through the enclosure. Yeah. That'd be pretty crazy to see a. They next embark on the park's central attraction, a safari-like tour inside automated Ford Explorers. It's at this point that they're joined by Hammond's two grandchildren, Lex and Tim. The tour is largely uneventful, as most of the dinosaurs remain unseen. I was equally disappointed (laughs) in theaters. I'm like, oh, cool. Here comes the Dilophosaurus. Here comes this. And yeah, um, the characters' emotions certainly mirrored my own. Mm. And actually, when that movie came out, I was... Almost exactly Timmy's age. Okay. So like that little kid was like basically me, like and I like you know his reactions to stuff and being excited about dinosaurs and I'm like I, I saw so much of myself in him. So like when you know he reacted to something like I was having the same exact emotion at the same age, which is kind of cool. So the fact that this movie came out when it did is one of the reasons that it resonated so much for you. I think so. Yeah. Hammond visits the main control room where we meet Arnold who is overseeing the park systems. We also learn Dennis Nedry's role as he's in control of the automated systems. At first, we didn't really know why he was there. We almost forgot about him from earlier until he pops up here. Yeah, and all those computers that were in the back, like I thought it was a really lazy set design choice, which is, it was like these big, like like black servers, like these red dots, like blinking all over. Mm. Apparently, those are some kind of crazy, expensive, massively high-end supercomputers. Oh. Like real though. They weren't even like my understanding is they brought them in for real during filming and they shipped them back to where they came from. Oh my god. But apparently they are some kind of off the hook like supercomputer that's running in the background. So they're making the effort to get legitimate things and we're like lazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All the guys who know computer are like, whoa, that's legit and everybody else is like, well, that looks kind of cheesy. Yeah. It's like, no, that's actually how it looks. It's still crazy to me that they're having two people control all the systems within the park that's bonkers and i think that's part of the reason why you know they were saying that there was that that issue with mm-hmm. all the automation there's an over-reliance on the, on the technology yeah and nedra even mentioned at some point like you said you know the entire place is controlled from this room mm-hmm. they leave the vehicles when they see a sick triceratops being tended to by the park staff 
The tour is cut short by the news of an impending storm, but Sattler stays behind for a bit to continue helping. I was always worried for their safety. Something would eat them. <laughs> While they were just outside of the vehicles? Yeah. Yeah. Of course, I mean, it's, if it's just a Triceratops enclosure, they're probably fine. As a kid, I was always worried. And every subsequent time I watched the movie, I was still scared for them, even though I knew. Yeah, right. It feels like any time they're outside in the open, they're just exposed to who knows what. Exactly. Which why when The Lost World came out, I was really freaking out because there were no, no fences. Mm. <laughs> it's all just out in the open now. Uh, it's here that Nedry shuts down the security systems to create a large enough window for him to steal the dinosaur embryos. In doing so, he's tossing the park into chaos as the automated tour cars stop in front of the T-Rex pen and the electrified fences shut off. And dread sets in. <laughs> that's just lazy writing. No, that's awesome. <laughs> I was so excited. I'm like, oh, good. That's where they stopped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it would be boring if they stopped anywhere else. But right here, perfect. Like some just plain wooded area between the enclosures. Yeah. No, like dead center right in front of the goat. <laughs> we hear the rumbles and see the famous scene of the water shaking in the cup, uh, which is the thing that I think I still think about when I think of this movie is I think about hearing the boom, boom and seeing the cup shake. It's it's such a legendary visual in movie making. It, it's such masterful storytelling because it's not just like, Boom, here it is, and now you see it. It's the impending dread mm -hmm. as this beast comes. And up to that point, you hadn't seen a single frame of the T-Rex. Right. But you understand what a T-Rex is. You know how big they are. And when you see that boom, it's like, what animal is so big that it does that yeah. when it's coming for you? And that's the kind of suspense that Spielberg, like, he's bringing that right from Jaws into this. Yeah, yep. Uh, the T-Rex appears and breaks through the fence. Gennaro leaves the children by themselves and hides in a nearby outhouse as the T-Rex escapes from its pen. And we see it in all its glory. Again, I was so scared for those kids. I'm like, the one adult in the car ran out like a screaming child yeah. and left them with the door open for crying out loud. I yep. mean, I was <laughs> and that's actually a recurring pattern in this movie. Anytime the kids get left or abandoned by adults, they get attacked by dinosaurs. Good for them, then. <laughs> it, that's right. You're right. I didn't notice that either. I can recite the movie almost word for word, but I did not put, put that together. <laughs> uh, it attacks the children or their vehicle, and uh, Grant and Malcolm try to distract it with the flares. Malcolm's injured, but Gennaro is eaten. Excellent. That's what you Don't abandon children. That's the moral of the story. <laughs> it is. Don't abandon children. Actually, when children. the T-Rex came through the top of the uh, Explorer and the plexiglass, mm -hmm. it wasn't, I think, the plexiglass itself wasn't supposed to crack. Oh. But you see it like get like cut in half almost. Mm -hmm. Like it was just with the impact. So like when they were screaming, they were le legit screaming because I don't know whether it was malfunctioning or whatever, but it was a little bit more forced than what was rehearsed. Okay. So they like legit were freaking out. Wow. Well, yeah, like we were saying, that's that's real danger. Yeah. That thing's huge. Nedry makes a run for it in a gas-powered Jeep, but crashes due to the storm and is killed by a venom-spitting Dilophosaurus. The shaving cream he's carrying, uh, that can with all the embryos, falls to the ground and gets buried in the mud. Spielberg had intended this to set up a sequel, even though I believe Lost World kind of went in a different direction. Yeah. And my stepdad said that for years. He kept saying, oh, yeah. And I'm like, no, no, I don't know. I think it was just kind of like to be lost. But my stepdad stood by that, uh, that theory of his. And yeah, I read that a few years ago that Spielberg actually did, in fact, intend to use those. Yeah. After rescuing Tim from the vehicle trapped in the tree... Grant and the kids sleep there overnight, and it's here that we see Grant starting to bond with the kids. That story arc of his is going on. Yeah, that, and that's one of those things where the practical effects, like you just 
it's it's incredible. The size of the set they had to make for that tree, it was just incredible. I think they had to use one of the biggest sound stages they had in the, I believe it was the Warner Brothers Lodge where they shot that one. Yeah. But uh, just that scale, it's just incredible. Yeah. I can't even imagine how difficult it was to film the stages of the vehicle coming down the tree at them. Because it is, it's a whole, it's like mini set pieces within the larger idea of it coming down. Because they go in different stages. Like, okay, there's the first fall and it stops. There's the next fall and it stops. Then we get on the ground. Then the thing tips over and just barely misses us. I love the line though, where they're like, "We're back inside the car." <laughs> <laughs> Although the the shot where it looks like it's driving vertically down the tree mm-hmm. and assassinating the branches bothers me because I'm like, that's not physically possible. That's okay. Sure. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm able to suspend my disbelief for dinosaurs and all these other things, but not that <laughs> car falling down the tree that way. <laughs> it's it's funny the little weird things that kind of jump out to us and are like, I don't know if I buy that entirely. <laughs> uh, Sattler and Muldoon arrive at the abandoned vehicles to find Malcolm and the remains of Gennaro. They get Malcolm into their jeep and escape from the T Rex, who gives chase but can't keep up. Absolute classic in cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I'm always wondering how they did. The impact tremor, if it was on the ground, did they mm. build that up like a couple feet off the ground and then they were under there with a oh, thick right, right, right. guitar string? Like how they do that one? That's a good question. I'll ask Steve. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call up. We'll call up Spielberg and just be like, hey. <laughs> In the morning, Grant finds hatched dinosaur eggs, leading him to theorize that the frog DNA that was used allowed some of the dinosaurs to switch sex. They did have to give us some exposition to understand it. They did set it up earlier by saying that they used the frog DNA. And mm-hmm. then uh, I forget, what is it? Western, some kind of specific frog. Mm-hmm. The fact that he has that just knowledge in his brain, like he's a dinosaur expert and he has this random like frog knowledge. <laughs> and the fact that it actually, that's like a real thing. Yeah. Blows my mind. I yeah. Mean, like that, is that, that's not science fiction. It's real. Yeah. That's crazy. I love too, though, when, this movie is tied into a lot of science fact, even though there is a lot of fiction in it as well. I mean, we know we know now things, obviously, we didn't know then. So they took some liberties where, like, velociraptors we know now are slightly feathered. Then that's not a thing that happens mm-hmm. in velociraptors for movies at all, because this one kind of set the set the idea for what we think of as a velociraptor. Actually, and they did finally correct that through uh, in Jurassic World. They said, you know, we didn't make them the way they really were because you wanted something different. Mm-hmm. So there was a hint to that, which kind of fixed all the dinosaurs leading up to yeah. you know, throughout the entire series. And the other thing, too, was that at the time, velociraptors were not as big as they were in Jurassic Park. And then I think it was while they were in post-production, somebody discovered like a six-foot velociraptor fossil and they were like, the movie did it, and then they actually discovered <laughs> the real thing to make it credible. And you're like, yes, prediction worked. That worked out well. <laughs> yeah. Arnold is forced to reset all the park systems to get control back, which inadvertently releases the raptors from their pen. Arnold, Muldoon, and Saller attempt to restore the power, only to have Arnold and Muldoon get killed by the raptors in the process. I was severely bummed when Muldoon got killed. Yeah. He was a cool character. <laughs> He was, yeah. I, I felt like he wasn't utilized enough. He was really cool. I wish I had some more backstory on him. Mm. They end up attacking him, too, in the exact way that Grant describes earlier to kind of pay off that story that we saw earlier. And we also get uh, another classic cinema line here where he says, clever girl. 
Actually, uh, the following summer, I went out and uh, I was on vacation in Cape Cod or something, and I found a hat very similar to the hat he was wearing. Yeah. And I begged my parents again. You know, I, I got it. <laughs> I'd <laughs> nice. run around and recite Muldoon lines in my backyard. <laughs> Just fine. <laughs> Walk up to every girl you can. Clever girl. Clever girl. <laughs> Clever girl. Grant and the kids make it back to the main complex and find it abandoned. Grant leaves the kids in the dining area and finds Ellie outside. That was a weird reunion because she comes at him and she's like, run. And then as soon as she gets to him, kind of forgets about that and is just like, am, am I safe now? <laughs> that has always confused me. Yeah. I, I did not understand. They cut out the part where she grabs the leaf, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. But then she didn't cut out the part where she said to him, run under her breath. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure on that one. Lex and Tim see the shadows of the raptors approaching and they hide in the main kitchen through an incredibly terrifying sequence of events. They managed to lock one of the raptors in the freezer before escaping from the other one. Such a good scene. Although you can see some um, a crew member's hand come out mm-hmm. when um, the raptor, when they open the kitchen door and you see like his full body, that's a full animatronic. That's not like CG. Sure. And I think he was afraid that it was going to fall forward. So you see like a, a hand with like a black sleeve on it. Just poke out just for like a second from behind the door and steady the tail and then it cut oh man you gotta look for it i know they had a ton of difficulty filming the scene just because of all the reflections that the kitchen had as a filmmaker i i I do not envy that process no (laughs) i uh i absolutely love the bit though where i don't know if that was a dumbwaiter that lex was hiding in or what exactly that's called but when she's trying to slide that door down and the raptor just goes head first into the reflection and we don't know it's a reflection until it does. Brilliant. The entire audience was in a panic. Yeah. Because I, mean, we, I went opening night. I mean, I went, you know, subsequent times and there were people like me that went multiple times. But man, that first time people were like legit horrified. Yeah. They're like, I can't believe we're about to watch a kid get eaten by a dinosaur. So good. <laughs> the kids rejoin Grant and Ellie and attempt to reboot the system. Lex manages to get it done just in time to lock the doors and prevent the raptors from entering. With the phones back up, Hammond calls the choppers, or he can call the choppers now, to come get them. The raptors manage to break through the windows, and the group flees through the ceiling back into the main hall. Just as they're cornered, the T-Rex enters and attacks the raptors, buying enough time for the group to escape. So good. Now, there was that uh, that scene where she was they were crawling through the ceiling, mm-hmm. and she fell through. Yes. Up until like the 20th time I saw the movie, I still jumped whenever it tried to get her. Yeah. Took like 20 times before I finally stopped jumping at that scene. <laughs> I feel like maybe it's going to happen this time. Oh, no. <laughs> exactly. And the the woman who did it, it wasn't really her that fell through. Um, it was a stunt woman. And when oh. she fell through, she looked up, but she wasn't supposed to. But the scene was so good, they used you know, at ILM, they superimposed the actress's face oh, wow. onto the stunt double. So if you look at it close... Now looking back at it and now with that knowledge, it may may look a little bit off. Okay. That's because they superimposed her face onto the sun. Oh, wow. I never noticed. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, the T-Rex gives a final roar as a banner falls reading, When Dinosaurs Rule the Earth. Such a great visual. So good. That w- That's the scene that when I bought my first surround sound system in like, you know, college, I, I threw this DVD in and went right to that scene and just like cranked it. Yeah. I'm like, this is the scene I got to test out my surround sound speakers. <laughs> Must <in."> feel it. <laughs> <laughs> Hammond gives a final look at what he's created before the survivors evacuate the island. Ellie smiles at Grant as both children have fallen asleep on him, uh, thus completing his story arc. And at this point, I mean, as an audience member, you feel like you just survived 
Like you feel like you're a survivor of mm-hmm. the movie, especially, you know, the first few times you see that or the first time you see it. Ah, so good. And then the music again. And there's uh, <laughs> so there's an original ending, which you probably are aware of that they didn't end up using. And they went with the T-Rex save instead. Refresh my memory. On that. OK, so the original ending actually planned on having Grant controlling the lift. So as they're climbing down from the ceiling into the main area, they're on that mechanical lift. He was going to grab the controls and use that kind of like swinging around the main area. And eventually he would smash into one of the raptors, which would propel it into the jaws of the skeleton. The head would kind of fall off and bite it and crush it and kill it there. And then uh, they had the one last raptor to deal with. And then Hammond just comes in with a gun and shoots it. (laughs) That's right. And I think that they uh, use some of that idea in the Jurassic Park Sega Genesis game. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I think that uh, the way you kill the raptor was, yeah, doing something and the T-Rex head falling down and killing the raptor, yeah. I wonder if it was because the video game makers were developing the game at the same time that the movie was being produced and were going off the same script and maybe were like, we're we're in. Like, we got our ending. You can't go changing it on us. We're too deep. I bet you're right. That'd be interesting. Oh, now I'm curious about that, too. That's super cool. There's also, uh, I guess, a couple years ago, they uh, not unearthed, but someone put out images storyboards of another thing that got cut from the movie that they didn't end up filming after the t-rex comes in and does the whole save there was actually going to be another final t-rex chase so they were going to go running on foot away from it from the building towards the helicopter and they were going to do what we've seen many times in movies since where they're just barely getting onto the helicopter the t-rex grabs one of the legs of it and it ends up pulling it off as the helicopter gets away so we get like one final scare but i i'm glad they ended it where they did with the dinosaurs i'd be curious to see it but yeah that was such an iconic thing with the t-rex i i would have felt it wouldn't have been proper closure mm-hmm. the way they did it i really feel was absolutely perfect i agree and i absolutely love hammond's kind of last survey of everything before he gets on the helicopter and he has to be snapped out of it really by grant and he's like come on we got to get out of here he's just like i can't believe this all happened like this so i mean he was such a great actor you felt so bad for him Mm -hmm. it's like i mean he made mistakes and people died and it's like but he's looking at it like why did it end like that and as a kid i'm thinking i i would again fantasize about the park actually being open like Mm -hmm. what would it look like what if you know, what would it look like? What were their hotels there? They must have been because, you know, how many people could it hold? And I was geeking out and thinking about the logistics of the park mm-hmm. had it opened, which we didn't get a look at for another, you know, decade and a half till Jurassic World opened. Yeah. But when that when that trailer dropped for Jurassic World and I saw that it was the park, open, I just, nine-year-old me freaked out. I was pretty excited. Speaking of all that kind of real-world tie-in, a lot of the merch that they showed in the gift shop in the movie ended up becoming the actual merchandise that they sold along with the movie itself. Don't have to tell me I own some of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember watching going, oh, that's my that's my lunchbox. Yeah, oh, hey, that's, that's my, you know, the box. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, so as we're kind of wrapping up, any final things you want to say about the movie? I definitely want to touch on that Steve Williams thing with that, that CG. Um, I know that it was the number one movie at the time when it came out. Mm-hmm. I think it, it just broke a billion or so and – and that that stood until Titanic knocked it off its perch a few years later. Um, yeah, I mean, the best dude. I love it. And I, I was I forgot how good of a movie it was until I watched it again yeah. this weekend yeah. for this. It it I'm shocked at how well that thing holds up. It really, really does. I was shocked too. I mean, I know it does. There was a thing in my brain. I think I had watched it a few years back and kinda remembered that 
I was blown away by how well it stands up. But I am curious to see now if we look because our CGI is really good right now in years from now. Like, are we going to look at it and still be like, man, it just still keeps going. Like there's something really, really solid about all the effects in this movie. And it's like we said, it's that blend of the practical in there. Yeah. And I, and I hope that it always like they don't go back and change it. I know like Star Wars. Right. George Lucas went back and he CG'd up some stuff. Didn't they do the same thing to E.T.? They Didn't may they have. CG up E.T.? I hope they don't do that with Jurassic. I don't know. I'm just sentimental like that. Yeah. I hope they keep it the way it is because they don't, don't need know. to. It's no, don't do it. Don't touch it. It's so good. All right. Well, as we are wrapping up, please tell people where they can find you online and uh, what you got going on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm always on Twitter. It's the underscore Chris Bryant. Uh, I'm on there. Well, actually, I have a uh, I've got a company that does um, education in the video production space, but the name of the company ties into the movie we're talking about. Oh, so it's called Studio 12 Academy. Studio 12 was the soundstage on the Warner Brothers lot where they shot that scene with the T-Rex in the lobby. Oh, my God. So people are like, why, why, why Studio 12? And I'm like, well, remember that scene in Jurassic Park? <laughs> so that's <laughs> how much you love this movie. That's right. That's that's uh, the name of one of the two things I've got going on. The other one is Empire Studios. It's a you know video production company. But yeah, I figured the Studio 12 Academy would be kind of a, a cool thing to mention since we're talking about Jurassic Park. Absolutely. And if people uh, want more information on that, where can they go? Studio12academy.com. Okay. Easy, easy. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I, uh, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me and uh, let me geek out on this. Random Movie Club is a production of the Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our podcasts and videos at thegeekgeneration.com, plus our live streams at twitch.tv slash thegeekgeneration. Don't forget, you can support Random Movie Club by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. As always, thanks to Michael McLeod of Wolfstein Music for our theme song. A link to his site can also be found on our site. Thanks for listening. Make sure you join us next time when we'll discuss The Princess Bride. See you then.